Did you know that 89% of award-winning ad campaigns fall into just six categories of thinking? And now the ad nerds at AdHouse Advertising School have taken that thinking and turned it into a deck of cards. AdHouse of Cards is a deck of 35 cards designed to help you come up with big ideas. Each card includes a prompt, a proven technique used by award-winning ad pros to jumpstart your thinking and improve your campaigns. Visual thinkers can use the backs of the cards to free associate using gorgeous photography from the artists at Unsplash.com. AdHouse of Cards will teach you to hone in on the benefit, dramatize it, romanticize it, look at it sideways, and twist it into a pretzel. And the best part is that all of the proceeds go to the AdHouse Scholarship Program, supporting our mission to make the advertising industry more inclusive. AdHouse of Cards, a deck for ad nerds. Get yours today for just 20 bucks at AdHouseNYC.com. Hello, fellow ad nerds, and welcome to The A-List, the podcast that asks the world's top advertising professionals how they got started in the business. I'm your host, Tom Chrisman. I make ads at VaynerMedia, and I'm also co-dean at AdHouse Advertising School. Today, I'm sharing my conversation with Jason Bagley. Jason is a freelance creative who spent 16 years working at Wyden and Kennedy, and we talk about his uh, how he got in there and and his whole rise there. Um, And now he is a a freelance creative and he runs the Audacious School of Astonishing Pursuits where uh, he does an eight-week coaching course called Creative Mega Machine. I love that name. Which uh, teaches things like how to find your voice, how to take your ideas to the edge of madness, uh, and more. I want to take that class. Uh, this is uh, a great episode full of awesome advice. Um, we talk about how to push past those first 10 ideas. We talk about how to get your dream job. We, we talk about it all. Um, and uh, I think you're going to like it. So now, without further ado, here is my conversation with Jason Bagley. Hey, Jason Bagley. Hey, man. Oh, you got your own your own microphone too. I yeah, I'm not to be outdone by Tom. I have my own. That's awesome. So, uh, so tell me, uh, like I, I I noticed that uh, I know a lot of people uh, stay at Wyden for a long time, but you were you were there a long time. Um, and 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 just what just happened? Uh, David Kennedy uh, uh, passed just a couple of days ago, or was it yesterday? A couple um, days ago, day, yeah. Days are days are going uh, like crazy. Um, so we lost Cliff Freeman, and now we've lost David Kennedy. Um, yeah. So you knew him. I did. Yeah, he was. <clears throat> you know, we were. He actually retired before I started, uh, huh. which was, <clears throat> gosh, seventeen, <clears throat> seventeen years ago or something. He had already retired, but oh, thankfully. Thankfully for me and everybody else, he, he came into the office every day uh, the whole time I was there. In fact, when I first started, my office, <clears throat> when I was a junior copywriter, was right, uh, his office was right behind mine. He had this kind of oh, wow. corner open space, which was just like a hoarder's nest of <laughs> amazing art and advertising memorabilia and just like everything just piled in there. And I, I posted this on Instagram, but in the Widen Kennedy like new hire book, it there's a line in there that says "Be nice to the janitor," and it doesn't explain it. And what it means is that that old guy shuffling around with fifty keys jangling on his belt uh, that you think is the janitor is actually uh, David Kennedy. Oh my God! Yeah. And nobody, you would never know. He was the most unassuming, just humble, sweet man that you don't, you didn't realize was this absolute legend that changed the industry. But yeah, yeah just a, just a giant heart and the sweetest, kindest, most selfless person that you could ever hope to meet, which is 
which is rare in a in an icon <laughs> to be yeah. that that wonderful. So he he will be missed. Yeah, he certainly will. Um, I never got to meet him, but uh, from all the stories that I've seen, he was uh, he was something special. Um, and uh, wow, that's that's funny that you had an office right next to him. That must have been so cool. So tell us where. Let's go back to where you where you started, where you grew up. Like what what uh, what was that like? Yeah, so I grew up. Um, I grew up in Arizona. Mesa, Arizona, about 15 minutes from Arizona State University, uh, and blew up and grew up in a blue collar home. My dad was a house painter. And so I grew up from a probably illegal child labor age, uh, going, spending every summer working with my dad, painting houses in 118 degree weather. It was really fun. That's <laughs> where I, uh, that's where I became inspired to uh not go into painting houses yeah i was out i mean i hated it we would wake up you can imagine the the worst nightmare for a teenager we would wake up at 3 30 a.m or 4 a.m to try to beat some of the heat yeah and i was like a social kid so i was i was out till midnight every night at least with my friends and then i would wake up at my dad would come wake me up at one three thirty four o'clock in the morning it was it was a nightmare um my brother and i a couple of times actually took sleeping bags and like tried to hide in the corner of the yard and slept outside just so that we wouldn't be in our beds when our dad came to wake us up didn't work he found us um but so i grew up in this you know was kind of surrounded by a lot of blue collar environment the idea of making money or having a career doing something creative just absolutely never crossed my mind yeah it just wasn't a part of my world and <clears throat> so although looking back i was always kind of doing what i do now from how so well i mean i can i can go back to my some of my earliest memories, uh, I grew up around a lot of cousins and stuff in, in Arizona. And I was really close with my cousin, Melissa. And from when we were very small, I remember making, we would make like satirical kind of spoof soap operas on audio cassette decks. You remember the, the little yeah. tape decks that just had a record and play button? Yeah. <laughs> We would just do audio. It was like a radio theater of just making fun of these spoof kind of soap operas. And that was like, I mean, we couldn't have been six years old. Wow. At that six or seven years old. And then when camcorders came, when camcorders came around, my friends and I would, would make, you know, kind of SNL style skits and different things. And I was also writing all the time. I just kept, I kept journals and I have a chest full of journals, like probably 40 journals. And they're probably all stupid and ridiculous and filled with horrible writing. Yeah. Um, but it was just something that I liked to do. And it's, that's something I always ask when I, when a young person comes and they're like, I want to be a creative in advertising and they, maybe they haven't picked their career or whatever. Mm -hmm. The first question I ask them is, have you always written? Do you love writing? Like is writing yeah. something you just did? Nobody made you do it, but you just love doing it. And they're like, well, no, or they either say yes or no. Right. And then I say, do you love doodling? Do you love drawing? You have you always loved like painting and doodling and making art of some sort? And if they answer no to both of those questions, they probably just like the idea of being a creative. They, they probably right. wouldn't actually enjoy it. But a lot of times if they answer yes, I'm like, well, you'd probably love this job. Yeah. Um, I, I've, I've rarely ever met a great creative that kind of hadn't done it in, in one form or another their whole life. Um, in some, in some way they either were writing or creating art or making videos or something like that. But yeah, 
So yeah, that was me. And again, the whole time, never thought, even though I was constantly making this content, just never occurred to me that this would be a career at all. Yeah. Were you listening to people that were making stuff like that? Weird Al Yankovic, all those, all those kind of things? Or I don't remember. I, I don't think, I mean, fairly early on, not, not as early as those soap opera spoofs, but fairly early on, I, I was a huge SNL fan. So right. that, that definitely influenced like all the videos and, and different skits and stuff that I did later. Yeah. But I don't know what, I always just loved comedy. I just loved like making fun of stuff. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't realize till later, I did horribly in school, barely found out just a few hours before my high school graduation ceremony that I was even graduating with my class because that was very much, uh, very much in question. Right. (laughs) And just kind of struggled in school. And I, I realized much later that I had a pretty severe ADD. But not the cool kind of ADD where you like <laughs> break dance on top of the desks and kiss the teacher and, and you, you do cool stuff that, yeah. that's very charismatic and exciting like in the movies. Yeah. I had the kind where if my brain is bored, I just hit the desk. I just fall asleep. Yeah. And so I literally was asleep on my desk probably 50% of my education. And yeah. What I, I realized looking back now, I got kicked out of class a lot because I would, to stimulate my brain, I would goof off and m- my friends and I would make each other laugh. And I, I, I realized now I was just trying to stay awake, but yeah. that's, that's kind of, so I, I got kicked out of class a lot and I wasn't a bad kid. I just, I loved to laugh and that was kind of the way I could function. Yeah. And I don't remember where I was going with that, but that, that, I think that, that developed sort of created the foundation of my love of comedy and just, not just comedy, but kind of pushing things to, I had to sort of push things to the extreme to, to stay awake. Right. To stimulate your brain. Yeah. My brain is not easily stimulated. It's not right. stimulated by like sort of base level, sort of mild uh, drama or comedy. Like I want things to go to the extreme. Yes. It, it doesn't, it kind of doesn't register in my brain unless it does. And I can see now that I'm an old man looking back how <laughs> that kind of was formative in, in my career and, and what, what I was drawn to later. Yeah. So you didn't know if you were going to graduate from high school until like the day of what were your plans for college? What were the, like, did you have some colleges that you wanted to go to? And you were like, if I can get out of here, or were you like, I'll just go to junior cut. Like, where did you, where did you end up going? Well, I knew I was going to go do a service mission for my church. And so, and so I didn't even bother this, this tells you what an amazing student I was. <laughs> I didn't even bother taking the ACT or the SAT. I was just right. like, ah, I, I can't. That's going to be a nightmare. So I didn't right. take that. And I went, I lived in Japan for two years. I did my service mission there, and that was amazing. And that kind of helped me grow up, I think. And yeah, I got more discipline, and I sort of learned how to study, and I had to learn the Japanese language. And I was a a very different person when I came home from that in terms of like discipline and ability to kind of focus a little bit more. But because I hadn't taken the tests, I had to, I either had to take the tests, which now I'm like three years out, I would have done horribly. I would, I think I would have done horribly if I took it immediately after high school. um, So I did two years of junior college in order to get into, uh, in order to get into BYU. Yeah. And even then the way, I think the way I got into BYU is you had to write an essay. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I don't really have 
all the special extracurricular activities that get you into a pretty competitive school. And my grades are, my grades were pretty good because I, I had done well, uh, when I got home, but I knew it was kind of probably going to ride on this essay. And so I just wrote the funniest essay that I could just the most ridiculous, funny essay. And I wish I had a copy of it. I don't, but I'm pretty sure that's what got me in. Oh, wow. Maybe you can get it from BYU. Maybe they have it in the, in the files. I should, I should totally see. I mean, that would be a lot of essays that they're saving if they do. (laughs) So I got in and at that time they really did not have, they have an amazing program now. I wish I could say advertising. Yeah. Yeah. I, I wish I could say that they had an amazing creative program at that time. I didn't even yeah. know I was, I didn't even know I was going to go into advertising, but they really eventually like years later, it took me a long time to graduate from college because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I just couldn't yeah. figure everything sounded horrible. Everything sounded like, again, going back to my ADD, I just couldn't imagine uh, yeah. being focused on anything. So I, so I ended up taking just the elective classes that I naturally took were all like theater and film, photography, creative writing. And eventually I was like, I have to pick a major. I was like four years in and I hadn't even picked a major. Yeah. And so I heard about this test. That's like a career placement test you can, can take. And I went, you take the test and then you meet with a, with a counselor like a couple of weeks later and they go over the results. And so I took the test. And a couple weeks later, the counselor calls me in and he, he says, I've been giving this test for more than a decade. And when you take the test, it, it kind of spits out three, three to five potential careers. Like this is the only time that it has ever given me only one career option. And it says that you need to go into the creative department of an advertising agency. <laughs> And so I was so like, the computer, the computer told you what to do. Yeah. The computer <laughs> selected my career. And I was like, Hey, uh, that, that actually sounds kind of fun. And did I did you know any... what, the, did you know what that was? Did like a creative department of an ad agency? I, I knew, I kind of knew what that was at that point because I had an older cousin, Jeff Bagley. Um, he was more like an uncle, but he's technically my first cousin that mm-hmm. was a, he was a CCO of an, of an ad agency, uh, there in Salt Lake city. Mm-hmm. And so I, I sort of had an idea of what that was. And when it, when I got those results, I, I delved into it even more. And I was like, this, this actually does sound kind of fun. I think I might enjoy that. Yeah. And I didn't have any better ideas, so I just did it. But like I said, once I made that decision, they didn't really have a great program they had one copywriting class that was at night. That was, that was literally their entire creative program. They, everything else was like strategy and media and right. a lot of other things. Now they have, I think, one of the best programs in the country that uh, a yeah. lot of good, good agencies are recruiting out of. But, um, and that's, you know, so they're doing great. They did not have that when I was there. So right. I... I graduated with like not an amazing portfolio. I basically had to, had to sort of put it together myself. It wasn't great. And just went on up to Salt Lake City because that's where I was, you know, going down, going to school in Provo, yeah. Utah. And with my button up and my tie and did the interviews and uh, got a job at a small, small agency there. Um, and then just a couple months later, got a job working for my cousin at the bigger agency, which no longer exists. Right. And that they were specializing in like tech at that time. This was before the dot-com bust. Right. And so I was working on like print ads in business to business engineering publications for like writing ads for oscilloscopes and SCSI host adapter cards and enterprise storage solutions, real sexy stuff. Yeah. But stuff you have to learn about, like the, 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 the great thing about something like that, like I started in direct 
response at Ogilvy Direct when it was called Ogilvy Direct. Uh, and I had to learn about AT&T call cards for the military. I had to learn about the Glenn Livett scotch, like things that I had no interest in and no knowledge of. And I think that helped me become a better copywriter. Like when you, when you have to learn uh, about all those crazy things that you just mentioned, it sort of forces you to, uh, to do the work that maybe you hadn't done in, in, cause I was the same way in high school. Like I, I didn't, I took art. I just didn't even oh, yeah. try to I, do the, the hard stuff. Totally. And that, that I, I learned grammar and all yeah. really, I had grown up writing, but just free writing in, in a journal. I didn't really know grammar. I didn't know anything. I kind of learned all that on the job. Yeah. And the other thing it does when you start out at a place like Ogilvy Direct or the place I started is I think it's a great blessing. I almost feel that it's a curse to come straight out of school to a place like Widening Kennedy mm -hmm. because you don't fully appreciate what you have. <laughs> and I was there for 16 years. And on the last day, I still appreciated because of the way the first three years of my career, I, it never was lost on me. What an amazing place that I worked at and yeah, how incredible it was. And compared to <clears throat> the majority of the industry, like what amazing clients and brands I got to work on and the amazing people I got to work with. And, yeah. and, and there are many great brands and great, amazing people throughout the industry. That's what's great about it. But I would see people that came straight from school to widen and often they just didn't have the perspective of, they weren't able to appreciate it as much as somebody who had experienced, you know, the other. Right. How did you like, so you're at your cousin's, uh, uh, ad agency. And at that point you're thinking, okay, this is my career. This is what I'm going to be doing. Uh, did you want to get out of Utah? Did you want to, was it, was it a uh, drive to sort of get into sort of one of the bigger agencies at that point? What was your list? Yeah. So because of my late start, I didn't, I didn't know that much about the industry. So it was really my first year on the job that I got access to like award show annuals and the DVDs that were in the award show annuals. Yeah. And I was kind of exposed to the best work being done. And as soon as I saw that, it was just like pure magic to me. I, it was so different from what I was doing. And it was so like, just, I, I, I say that it, it, it was like a magic trick because I was blown away by it and I could not figure out how they made work like that. Yeah. Because that just wasn't what I was experiencing. But I knew that somehow I wanted to be a part of that. Yeah. And so that's really when I became aware of places like Widen. And at that time, it, there was a lot of agencies that were doing incredible work. And it was yeah. kind of before, um, I don't know, the industry's changed a lot. And there's still a lot of great work being done. But there, there was you could name off 10 agencies that were do that you would kill to work at. Um, yeah. And so I became aware of those agencies and I was like, I I've got to get into one of those places. And so I quickly realized I'm not going to get into one of those places producing the work that I'm, that I'm making at, mm -hmm. at the agency I was working at. <clears throat> and so I started kind of building a spec portfolio on nights and weekends of just fake ads to, uh, to try to get into one of those, one of those places. And by yourself, you just sort of took it on yourself to sort of just make ads or did you have like a crew of, of, of young people that, you uh, my, I had a, uh, another cousin named Tyler McKellar who was sort of, it, it was sort of, he and I had that same goal. Uh -huh. And so we would work together on some stuff. And then we would like rope in, we were both writers. So we would, you know, get an art director to lay something out for us. And, but we, 
we kind of concepted ideas that if it was film concepted, we put ourselves in the box of like, what can we shoot on a crappy camcorder by ourselves? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and just embraced sort of the idea, the concept, and didn't worry about the fact that it was going to look like crap. And I personally don't have a problem with that. Like if, if, you know, Jeff Kling has a famous portfolio that he got hired at Wyden with that is a bunch of yellow legal pad papers, just like yeah. sheets of paper that have in Sharpie headlines and like crude pictures. And I, I actually got to sit, see it when I went to Wyden. Oh, you did? Uh, when I went up there to interview, they actually showed me. That's another crazy story, um, which I guess, I guess this is the right place to tell that story. But, <laughs> um, so, yeah, we, I, I was working on my portfolio, and I just, I really at that time, the whole world of great creative was a total mystery to me. I hadn't gone to a fancy portfolio school or anything. Yeah. <clears throat> and so I was just dying to somehow talk to somebody at one of those agencies and have them like reveal <clears throat> a few of their secrets. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And uh, about two years into my having a job, um, Jed Alger and Tim Hanrahan were CDs at Wyden mm -hmm. came to Salt Lake to speak at like an ad of lunch. And I heard about this and I was like, I'm like a month in advance in advance. I was like, I don't care what I have to do. I'm going to be at that lunch and I'm going to be super annoying and I'm going to just badger them with questions. And so they, they came and they spoke and afterwards I like beelined it over to them and, and literally they were kind enough. I asked them questions for like an hour straight and just like poking <laughs> them for anything that I could get. And then afterwards, Tim was kind enough to give me his email address. And, <clears throat> and I, I said, if I send you my portfolio, would you mind giving me feedback? And at this time I wasn't like getting a job at Wyden and Kennedy wasn't even really why I was talking to him because I didn't even think that was a possibility. I right. was just wanting to learn from him and get feedback from him. And, and so I, I sent him my portfolio. He basically said it's crap um, in a nice way. because he's Which a is great. Nice yeah. man. And so I scrapped it and started over. And every three months or so, I was working really hard on it. I was working like every night, weekends. Every three months or so, I would, I would send him my book and he would give me feedback. and it got to a point where it was pretty solid and I sent it to him and he said that he said like, this, this is a solid book. He's like, it's, you could go and get a, a job at a decent place. Uh, he, he said Boston, cause I think he's from Boston. He's like, you can get a, a good workmanlike job in Boston with this. And he, but he said, I don't see a voice coming through. I don't, I don't see you coming through in this portfolio. It, it looks like a solid portfolio that anybody with uh, a moderate amount of talent could do. He said, I want to see you. I want to see your creative voice. I want to see a unique point of view. And that just sent me into a tailspin of confusion because I was like, what is, a, what is my voice? I don't know yeah. what that is. <laughs> What's my creative voice? What's, and so I, I thought about that for a long time and I went through trying to figure that out. I, I sort of went through all the award show annuals and I started marking the stuff that I loved the most that just like, it, it was all great, but the stuff that really resonated with me the most mm. And then after I had like literally put post-its on all that, then I went through it again and I said, of the stuff I love, what is, what do I think could possibly have ever come from me? Like from my sensibility. And then I marked just those. 
and there was a definite pattern of like it was a world of it was kind of like Miller High Life, uh, the stuff that the Swedes at Fallon were doing at that time. Definitely, there was a, a, a slant toward comedy and kind of weird, quirky stuff. And that was like, I think this is this this is the type of work I would love to do, and that I think I could possibly someday do. Yeah, and that's that's the way I started to sort of zero in on what my creative voice was, and I. What I did is I kind of set that work as my new standard. Mm. So when I would come up with spec work, I would judge it against, is it, is it in that universe, not copying that work, but does it, does it resonate with me in the same way that that work does? Right. And so I, I threw out my whole portfolio, started over again with that new standard. And <clears throat> when I, after like six months or something, I kind of had a portfolio of new work and I sent it to Tim again. And what I didn't know, and again, I'm just looking for feedback. I'm not thinking I'm going to get a job at Wyden. Yeah. That was just like almost impossible. Right. What I didn't know is that Tim had been out on production for six weeks and was coming in for one hour into the office to get his mail get his mail and, a, and go to one meeting. And when he got in there, my physical portfolio was on his desk. And luckily he looked at it, put the DVD in, watched the spots and was like, wow, I like this. And on his way to the meeting, he took the portfolio over to the, gonna take it to the recruiter and he ran into her as she was getting on the elevator with a pile of portfolios. And, and he said, Hey, I got a, I got a good book you should look at. And she, she didn't, she didn't even have a free hand. She said, throw it on top of the pile. I'm going up to Dan's office right now and put it on there. Went up to Dan. They were Jeff Kling had just left and they were looking for a writer to replace Kling. That was a kind of comedy yeah, in that realm, <clears throat> Dan looked at the books and said, "I want to hire this guy." Wow! And so, if Tim had not come in, yeah, it'd been thirty seconds later. Yeah, and missed the recruiter getting on the elevator. Who who knows where my career would be? And the fact that, like, so many things about that story are crazy because Kling was like literally one of my as far as copywriters, he was one of my right. heroes. Like he, yeah. the high life campaign was one of those campaigns I just worshiped. And so it's still some of the best copywriting around in a, in a television spot yeah. um, it's, for, for voice, for weirdness, for getting to the heart of the, yeah. everybody should watch it. The, there it's the, what is it called? That's the high life or something like that. It's the, the campaign is called something. I forget. Maybe I'll put, a, I'll put a link to highlight. Yeah, I always tell like young people that maybe haven't seen it. I'm like, go watch all 98 of or however many there are. Uh, they're, they're amazing. But the, it was just incredible that they were, the fact that I was being hired to kind of replace one of my heroes. Yeah, yeah. The timing of it and everything. But and, and the other part that I love is that you know, when you met this, first of all, you made sure that you were at that meeting, you knew what you wanted, which was, which is like, you know, I think 60% of, of life is just knowing, oh, I want that. And then figuring out, oh, knowing that I want that, knowing that these people are going to be in uh, Salt Lake City, and I'm going to be at that lunch a month from now, uh, making that a priority, having questions, going up to them, you, you were brave, um, and then when they gave you their email, you didn't just go, ah, I didn't get the job. I don't know. They're just like, I thought maybe they, you, you sent them stuff. And then when they said your book was shit, you kept sending them stuff. Um, so the, the perseverance is, is very, is remarkable and, and, uh, and uh, amazing. And that's how it happens. Right. And the luck is part of it too, but the luck wouldn't be there if you hadn't done all the rest of the pre preparedness stuff. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think so much 
I mean, as you know, so much success, so much of success in this industry is just endurance and perseverance and who, who will, who can outlast, who's more annoying and curious and uh, determined than the next person because yeah. it's a, it's sort of a, a, a war of attrition in terms of, you know, 90 Five percent of all the ideas that we come up with and present are going to die, and yep. so who can just keep coming back? Who who's got the endurance? And I, I just actually just posted a, on Instagram a, a little video about of how uh, blessed are the moderately talented, and about how excessive talent. In my experience, excessive talent is actually more of a curse than a blessing. Yeah, <clears throat> because people that are <clears throat> naturally just insanely talented which i definitely do not consider myself one of those <laughs> i think great a, a good ideas has just they just sort of fall out of their head and out of their mouth so easily and naturally and have probably their whole life that they never develop the discipline and the endurance to go past those good ideas to great ideas yeah but when they sit down to concept these are the people that are like the funniest person in the room and yeah. they're the quick witted. And when they sit down the concept, they're just like, well, here, this is a good idea. Look, I, I, I came up with five good ideas in 10 minutes and they, they can't quite push themselves past that where it's like, no, it, you don't need to come up with 10 ideas. You need to come up with 400 ideas. Yeah. Yeah. That's where, that's where the great one, the great one is going to be somewhere in the 400 or yeah. however many. So in my experience, some of the most raw, talented people that I've worked with did not, most of them did not end up becoming the most successful. It was, it was more the people that just had sort of the perseverance, like you said. Yeah. Just keep going and going and going and uh those are the ones that get there um, so so, you, so your book got seen by dan he said let's hire this guy you didn't know that was going to happen you you just thought this was another like i'm just sending it but you sent him a physical book you didn't there i, I guess email book. yeah email books weren't a thing you, you didn't have a website back then we didn't I, I didn't have a website back then um so so you sent sent him a physical book he sends it how did you get, did you get a call? What, what happened that, what happened next? Um, the recruiter left a, a voicemail on my answering machine. And that was back in the day where we had physical answering. And they said, Hey, uh, her name was Beth. She was actually a freelance. She was filling in for Melanie, but she's like, Hey, Dan, this is Beth from Wyden and Kennedy. Dan Wyden just saw your book and he wants to fly you up. Uh, I was just like totally blown away. And Wyden had been, that, that had been my sort of dream agency, but it was just seemed so outside of the realm of possibility. And when I say it was my dream agency, I, I, uh, I, I carried around a little foam core piece of foam core where I sort of wrote down my, kind of moonshot career goals. Yeah. And I would, I would read this thing every day. And what were they? Well, one of them was I wanted to, I had to like get myself in the mental state every day to like, you know, keep going and keep persevering because I was working on these oscilloscope print ads. Yeah. And, and so to get myself to believe it was possible, I would write, I wrote these things down and, and one of the things I wrote was they were all in the, they were all in the present tense. And one of the things I wrote was I work in a 100 square foot satellite office of widening Kennedy. And I read this thing for like two years and then it became true. What, what, what satellite office were you in? I was just in my, I was just in my agency in Salt Lake city. Oh, okay. Just, yeah. Yeah. That was just what I told myself. Yeah. Uh, that I already worked at Wyden. 
Yeah. And that I, I would, I would try to behave as if I did, I would try to like hold myself to the standard of somebody that worked at Wyden and Kennedy, or at least what I imagine the standard to be. And, uh, and I'm a, I'm a big believer. Um, I'm, I'm a big believer in that in my, my coaching program, the first very first week is create your mega dream. Mm-hmm. And I kind of walk them through the process of like how to really articulate a vision for their career. That's going to be super inspiring that will like emotionally not only get your brain to believe what's possible, but also just give you the drive and the confidence on a daily basis Yeah, uh, to keep going and to be excited about about you know this amazing career that we get to yeah to be involved in that's great that's great advice and the the writing the writing down in the present tense uh is something everyone should do and it, and it cuz it forces you to figure out what you want and then you write that down and your brain doesn't know that it's not true your brain is really dumb and wants to <laughs> just everything it reads that's why this misinformation stuff on on facebook and all that is so bad for humanity because we believe everything we read and 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 everyone does and so if you can write something to yourself that tricks you into believing something that is is uh amazing that's that's great really it's really good news how gullible our brains are it almost always comes true um and uh it has for me too and it's it's uh it's it almost sounds like it can't be true but it is i'm telling you it is so, so what was your, I want to get into Wyden. What, what was that? What was that first meeting with Dan? Like, uh, so I went the rounds, met with all the CDs and, um, I, my second to last interview was Jim Riswald and he just like, he insisted on meeting me. I actually had to wait around for, no, no, actually he was my last interview. I had already been offered the job. I talked to everybody. Everyone was super nice, way more down to earth. I, I had imagined Wyden being like just this untouchable group of people that were way so much cooler than me. Yeah. Like and the Jedi council or something. Almost like the Jedi council of like hipsters is what I imagined. Yeah. Like, and I just, oh, okay. I thought I'm not going to be cool enough to even hang out with these people. Yeah. But they were, I, I, that was a big surprise. They were so nice and so down to earth and everyone was so humble and cool and nobody acted like they had anything figured out and and then i the last person i met with was dan and he was the same way just like super nice and super kind of approachable and he told me how much he loved my book and he offered me the job and anyway he's he he was great. And I was just sort of like amazed that this had happened. And then, did you tell him that Tim Hanrahan had been like coaching you and, and you'd been going back and forth for how long was it? Months, years? Probably. It was probably like a year and a half. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I got into that with him, but, um, and I, I told, he offered me the job and then I, I had to tell him that my, my daughter, my oldest daughter, my only daughter at that time, she actually had just had a bone marrow transplant. Oh, wow. She had leukemia when she was a baby, and she still was a baby. She was like a year and a half and had just had a bone marrow transplant. So I actually wasn't, we couldn't go anywhere. We had to stay near the hospital for like three more months or something like that. So I had to tell him, like, I'd love, I, of course, I'd take the job, but I'm not going to be able to come until January. And he was just couldn't have been sweeter and more understanding about that. It was like, of course, whenever it's six months, whatever, take care of your daughter and waiting for you. And so that was amazing. And then they told me like, can you wait around for three hours? Cause Jim Riswold's getting back from the airport and he wants to talk to you. And so I waited and, you know, Jim Riswold, a legend advertising hall of fame, so many amazing Nike, you know, campaigns. Yeah. And I waited and it was not, it was less of an interview. It was just 30 minutes of Jim Riswold berating me and making fun of me. And sort of just, if you know, Jim, um, 
you, you'd know what I was talking about, but just sort of like tearing me apart in funny ways, kind of hazing me, I guess. And, and I was like, what is this? What's happening? And I, I kind of rolled with it and I'm a terrible trash talker. So I couldn't, yeah. I, I wasn't very good at like giving it back. You're to a him. big dummy too. You're yeah. stupid also. <laughs> um, and, and I just sort of laughed and, and I think he just wanted to see if I could take it and if I would have a sense of humor about it or something. And at the end, at the end of mocking me and just ripping on me for 30 minutes, he was like, I like you. Yeah, you're going to do well here. I was like, what just happened? <laughs> but wow. that was it. So that was, uh, that was the interview thing. And then when I got there, um, again, I just major imposter syndrome. I was, yeah, I, I literally thought they'll probably discover that I don't have what it takes within a few weeks and I will be escorted from the building, uh, in about 30 days. As soon as I get on a couple briefs and, and they see that I can't cut it. And so I think that's, you know, natural and yeah. so many people feel that way. And I certainly certainly felt that way it's good it scares you into into working harder and uh, yeah and trying and, and you know yeah a little bit further than maybe you would for sure so uh i also had this idea like oh this place is crazy you know i don't drink i don't do drugs i don't I, i'm this yeah. conservative boy and i had heard stories about widen and the very first day I was there, I was talking to a couple of guys and they're like, Hey, do you want to, you want to go out? You want to go have a smoke? I'm like, well, I don't smoke, but I'll go with you. And I thought they were going outside to have a cigarette yeah. and they just went over to a window, opened the window and lit up a joint, started smoking, yeah. smoking weed in the office. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is what I thought. This is what I heard. Wyden was like. <laughs> And, and this was like 18 years ago before yeah, it was illegal. It was illicit. Yes. So there were, there were a lot of crazy stories back then. Crazy things happened and, uh, it's all very eye opening for this innocent boy. Yeah. Um, but it was great. I learned so much being around so many people that were different from me that were interesting and it's another thing I love about this industry is the people that you get to know and get to be around. And it changed my view of the world. And how so? How did it, how did it change your view of the world? Just meeting different, you know, such a wide variety of different people from all over the world that live different lives than I live. Um, and I just thought that was fascinating and it just gave me a better perspective and greater empathy for all different types of people and yeah and and oh, they probably hadn't met anybody like me either so it was right. like i was kind of an oddity you know i was like the only guy that didn't drink or swear or do drugs right. and so they they thought i was a, a funny mascot uh <laughs> to have around too but i just loved being around so many different types of people, but we were all kind of united under one mission of trying to make the best work of our lives. And so it was like a team, I think like, like any great sports team, you have all these different types of people, but you you become bonded because you have such a, a, a unified goal and a, a mission. Yeah. And what, what kind of stuff did you work on there uh, when you first got there? Uh, I think Powerade, I was put on Powerade and um, pretty quickly I was a moviephone.com thing and <laughs> moviephone.com. And that was like a pitch situation. And I remember I was the teams, I was, one of the teams I was competing with was Roger Camp and somebody. Right. And <clears throat> And I was also on some electronic arts stuff where Roger was my CD and I right. t tons of Roger camp stories are still, still close to this day, but 
<clears throat> he was a legend, you know? Yeah. And so I was competing against him as a creative team. And uh, actually, me and Tim Hanrahan were a team. So this oh, wow, that's so cool. We're partnered up together. And we actually, uh, we actually, they actually bought our campaign. And so that was pretty amazing and kind of a confidence builder that I was like, you, we beat Roger Camp. Yeah. And because I admired him so much. And <clears throat> so we shot, uh, we filmed that campaign with uh, Jared Hess, who had just done Napoleon Dynamite. In fact, Napoleon Dynamite hadn't even gone to theaters yet. Yeah. <clears throat> and that, so that was fun. And I was on Powerade and then I ran into Hal Curtis in the hall and he was like, he had seen my book or something. He's like, Hey, do you want to work on a Nike brief? And I was like, first of all, of course I said, yes. Yeah. But, but secretly I was like, so terrified yeah. of that, uh, the, the pressure of that and kind of didn't want to say yes, because I was just so scared. And it was him and Mike Byrne were the CDs on Nike at that time. So one thing I, I basically didn't say no to any briefs. I was right. often, sometimes I was working on five briefs at the same time because I just, it was like the land of plenty, you know, from where I was coming from, like, right. These were incredible opportunities. I didn't want to say no to any of them. So I was working like constantly. Yeah. Late at night. Cause I just, these were, I didn't want to let any of these opportunities go. And, and they were just, everyone was so great there. The CDs, when you're, when you're working with great CDs and with great partners, you, it just, you're going to up your game and they're going to help you um, yeah. up your game. And you're still going to have to deliver because you're usually competing against other teams as well. But Hal and Mike, you know, were so, patient and helpful when I, on my first uh, Nike brief and I ended up making a Nike spot. So my first year I was really lucky. I, I got uh, quite a bit of work produced. Oh, wow. Um, straight out of the gate and some, some pretty decent work. And I, I give, I worked really hard, but I was also surrounded by such amazing talent that, yeah. you know, kind of did everything they could to help me succeed. And did you grow up inside of Wyden? Uh, a lot of times it's hard to go from, you know, the new kid who doesn't smoke drugs and uh, just have that be the, like, you're the pigeonhole, like the new, you know, weird kid that came from somewhere else. Uh, and then turn into some, sometimes you have to like leave and then come back to, to do, to move up on, in the ranks. Were you, were you able to become more of like a leader there? Over the years, or is it not like that at Wyden where you just like everybody just kind of because you said Roger Camp was leading things and working them? Um, it's, it's a fairly flat organization for sure. We don't, yeah. it's just like creative CD, two ECDs. Right. That's, that's, that's the hierarchy. And uh, I'm sure it's similar to other places in that sometimes you're not appreciated until you leave. I was lucky. Yeah. Again, I, I kind of had this, uh, what do you call it? I guess this inferiority complex. I, I think it was a mix. I think I had a mixture, I probably still do, of equal parts uh, bravado and overconfidence with a, mixed with extreme insecurity. <laughs> right. And so, I again, I kind of... I, I had the goal of being at Wyden, hired at Wyden, but then kind of thought that would never happen. Yeah. Once I was there and even after producing some, some good work and kind of getting on a roll, it never crossed my mind that I would ever be a creative director at Wyden and Kennedy. I just right. thought that's, there's too few of those. Yeah. That's not in the cards for me. Yeah. I'll, I'll probably have to leave and be a creative director somewhere else whenever that time comes. And I wasn't even really thinking about it. And I, I really like to tell young creatives or even mid-level creatives, one of the worst things you can do is focus too much on trying to become a creative director. Yeah. Just keep your head down 
and do great work. And that opportunity will come naturally. And sometimes the worst you can do, the worst thing you can do is try to force it to happen and try to want it to happen because then you're losing your focus. It's going to take all the focus you've got to make great work. Yeah. And if you're distracted by politics and like trying to work the system and trying to become a creative director before you've really got the portfolio and you've got the experience, because if you rush into that, I love the story. I love what Dan Lucy said about how he turned down the first on this podcast. Yeah. He turned down that opportunity because he didn't feel like he had produced the work that he wanted to, even though he had done great work at that point. Yeah. And I thought like, that's the sign of a great creative right there. Yeah. Because he, you gotta be focused on like, before that happens, you need to have a phenomenal body of work. Otherwise the people, the creatives work under you, they're not going to listen to you. They're not going to respect you. They, they have to feel that you know what you're talking about and that you have something to offer them. And if you're trying to create a direct people that have a way better portfolio than you and way more experience than you, good luck. Yeah. You're, you're going to be in trouble. It's bad if that, yeah. when that happens. Uh, and so, cause you always I, get found out. There's another level of, of uh, imposter syndrome uh, where you're being, you think you're always going to be judged by the people above you, but you end up getting judged by the people that are working for you because yeah. you know you gotta you gotta show the goods and you gotta have that yeah and and also what's cooler being lebron james coach or being lebron james being lebron yeah. james is way cooler and that's yeah well there's like a lot you- of coaches that played and they were great when they played and now we see them as old old men on the court and you know you don't remember that that guy used to yeah. be amazing and now he's just yelling and pointing (laughs) and so like you have your whole life to be lebron james coach yeah make the most of being lebron james like yeah play it play on that stage for as long as you can and like win a bunch of championships and like leave it all on the court metaphorically speaking and then become the coach yeah or don't become the coach. Do Michael Jordan's thing and just go golfing every day and, uh, totally. and smoke cigars. <laughs> a lot of people, like a lot of people, are going to be miserable in a CD job, and yeah, and you don't need to feel like you have to do that. You can make great money and have a great life. Yeah, just being an amazing creative your whole life if you want to. But so I was surprised when Mark Fitzoff got promoted. I was I was working on Old Spice as a copywriter. And when he pulled me in and said, I want to, I, I want to give you uh, I want you to take my position as CD. That was, that just came out of left field because I was wow. not expecting to ever be a CD at Wyden and Kennedy. And I, nor was I expecting to ever be an ECD at Wyden and Kennedy, but yeah. Um, yeah. So that's kind of how that happened. And in terms of, did I have to leave? Um, I did leave actually. I, yeah. I you left for. For eight months, right? You were yeah, there. I went to Deutsch, uh, LA as CCO there. And then like six months into that, uh, Colleen DeCourcy called me and said, hey, we want to come back and run the Portland office. And I think my first response was, could you have had this idea six months ago? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be awkward. It's going to be awkward. Yeah. So it was a bad, you know, it was a, unfortunately short time and it wasn't because i wasn't having a blast and having a great experience yeah. at Deutsche la with an amazing fun it, i really had a good good time in Deutsche la and was enjoying my time there but couldn't say no to that opportunity yeah how do you uh how do you tell that how do you tell those Deutsche la people i gotta go back home i gotta go back to the place where uh you know, Pete Favad is awesome and he and I are good friends and I, he understood. I think it was, yeah, it was, you know, un- unfortunate timing, but they were actually really cool about it. And, uh, I think they understood that was sort of my home and that was yeah. an opportunity that was going to be tough for me to pass up. 
but uh, now you're you're coaching. You said, and you're 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 freelancing. You're uh, working on you're working all over the place now. Yeah, freelancing. And a week and a half ago, I launched the Audacious School of Astonishing Pursuits, which is my coaching and mentor program. Uh, oh, my wow! First program is called Creative Mega Machine, and it's uh, like you. I think I I saw. I've just seen in the past few years, there's, there's always been a great need for mentorship, but yeah, I feel like recently there's really a, a, a desperate need for it. I think, I really think we're kind of failing the new generation. They, yeah. They're not getting the coaching and mentoring that, that they need. And why I, I love what, what you guys are doing at ad house, uh, mm -hmm. because I think, there's just a real need for that for like really good senior mentors to, to kind of take in younger creatives or even senior creatives that still want to just continue their education. Right. If you, if you look at any other industry, accounting law, anything, there's like an almost unlimited amount of professional develop development that, that you can get after you're in the industry. Hmm. You look at, advertising there's almost nothing like we we have the ultimate sort of sink or swim training policy yeah where it's it's basically our policy is just neglect yeah we hire people and they just got to just figure it out and yeah i think there's probably always been a need for more mentorship and coaching but i think especially the newer generation of talent, they kind of expect it and they, they really want it. And yeah, they're, they're getting very frustrated and discouraged. And a lot of them are dropping out of the industry because right. they're not, they're not, they want to see personal growth and they're just not getting what they need. And it's partially because of what's happened to the industry where mm. clients are more and more demanding. They're paying less money or more work under shorter timelines and yeah. creative, creative leaders, leaders in every discipline, actually, they just don't have the time that they used to have for entering and for really like spending a, a lot of time. They're, they're barely keeping their head above water. And so yeah, that's one of the, those are some of the reasons why I launched uh, the coaching and mentor platform. And where, do, where do we find this? Where can people go to uh, check that uh, out? Schoolofastonishingpursuits.com. Uh, or they can, that's, that's the best place to learn everything. Uh, yeah. They can also follow the Instagram channel at a School of Astonishing Pursuits. All right. I'm going to go and, follow that right now. <clears throat> and it's, it's really for working professionals. So it's not a portfolio school. Um, I think at Ad House, you can go and actually kind of work on your portfolio and get, yeah. this is really made for people that are already working, that are really busy and it's just teaching them the secrets and techniques of the world's best creatives that they can put into practice right away on, I the, love briefs, that. on the briefs they're already working on. So <clears throat> I love it you, so much. Yeah. And there's always, there's plenty of uh, room for uh, more more portfolio schools. So we're, we're big fans of, of all of them, the, the Denver one and the Miami one and all of them. They're, they're all so, great. And they're uh, all great. I wish I would have, I wish I would have had the opportunity to go to a, a more professional type of yeah. cool portfolio school. But, yeah. Uh, I think it's a great uh, jump start to your career. And people can, can reach you there too at the, uh, the school of astonishing pursuits. They can. If they wanted um, to email you. Uh, my email is kind of at the bottom of the page, but they can also just email me at jasonbagley at mac.com. Okay. So I'll put, I'll put all these in the show notes when I, uh, when I make that and, and, uh, and people can reach out and, and ask you for advice or, or, or maybe they could send you their portfolio the way uh, you sent yours to Tim. Yes. <laughs> and you can tell them, go back and do it over. Yes. Uh, until they get it right. But uh, this has been great, man. Thank you for, for chatting with me. And, uh, Thanks for having me, And Tom. it was really great to meet you. Jason Bagley, what a guy. 
Head over to schoolofastonishingpursuits.com to learn more about his eight-week mentoring program. Whether you're new to this business or have been at it for as long as me, there's always more to learn. Uh, this has been the A-List, sponsored by Ad House Advertising School. And speaking of learning, we got new class, new Zoom classes up at uh, adhousenyc.com. They start week after Super Bowl. You get 10 weeks for just $6.99. Can I say Super Bowl? Am I going to get sued? I'm Tom Chrisman. You can find me at tomchrisman.net. Thanks for listening. Please rate and subscribe to the A-List wherever you listen to podcasts. And thanks to Ross Hopman over at Duotone Audio Group for the music. Get vaccinated if you haven't. Wear a mask. See you soon. Thanks.